Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, for episode 32. Our skill tonight is learning. It's our second uh, listener recommended topic. Yeah. And yeah. just like last week, we, we don't really know who suggested it because we're a bunch of slackers. But someone did. But someone did. Someone did. And we and we appreciate them even if we don't remember who it was. Yes. Yes. What skill class is that, PJ? Uh, you know, learning is a skill class uh, two and seven sixteenths. Two and seven sixteenths. That's very accurate. Yeah, uh, I, I thought so. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go to the man of the hour. Tom? Yeah. What research did you do uh, on this subject besides... Um, Besides what you've been doing for, for the last two hours. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, normally I um, I didn't have my normal research time this week. And see, what what happened was uh, <laughs> we record at 7. And my wife came down to the, to the driveway and said, hey, are you doing your podcast tonight? And I said, yeah, what time is it? And she said, it's 7.30. And I went, oh, <laughs> so I was already half an hour late, which means – that window between 6.55 and 7 o'clock, I did not get to do my research. So I just, I want to apologize uh, publicly to both of you. And um, that's all I got. Uh, Tom, what, what time is it now? Uh, four minutes to nine. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we just got started. Uh. I just, I want to, if I may, one other thing. Um, uh, sidebar with the audience. Uh, so... You know, so it's just me here talking to you guys. Um, I think PJ and Tanda are very gracious and um, very kind to their podmate. And I just want to tell you guys that I think they're the best. Uh, but we can't tell them. Sorry. But I, th- I just want you to know that I think they're the greatest. And uh, oh, here, here they're coming back now. Sorry. Tanda, I think Tom just had a sidebar again by himself. That was really rude. I don't appreciate that at all. Yeah. Oh, you you weren't in it? I didn't hear anything. I, he just all of a sudden he was gone. Oh man, I wasn't in it either. Yeah, he either either fat what? fingered a button I, or maybe just had a sidebar with somebody else. Well, I thought you guys just did a sidebar. What are you talking about? No. Yeah. So if anybody wants a, a visual of Tom right now, um, he, he's like covered in oil and grease, and it looks like he's been like running his fingers through his hair, like like oh my gosh, and so he's got a bit of troll hair. So he looks like a he looks a bit like a greasy troll with Carhartt. He, he looks like a troll that's been electrocuted. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's basically it. He, yeah, he's electrocu- a little frazzled. Electrocuted Carhartt grease troll. So if if at any point you start hearing strange sounds, it's because Tom is having a conniption. That's just we're we're forewarning you. <laughs> but pretty but, much. But moving on, Tanda, what research did you do on? Uh, Learning. I didn't realize that uh, Tom takes so long to do his research from 6.55 to 7. <laughs> I've been, uh, you know, I, I've been doing it like I don't start until like 6.57 your time. So and, and depending on my Internet speeds, you know, sometimes it's barely barely opening to a Web page with anything on it. So it, it, true to form, I, uh, I took a quick look and I. I discovered that different people have different learning styles, and uh, and I found it interesting that a lot of people have heard that some people are visual learners, and some people are auditory learners, and other people are kinesthetic learners, 
And I found an interesting article that says there's there's little evidence to show that any of that is true, that <laughs> that people have different preferences, like some people like reading and some people like listening, but otherwise they, they can't really prove that any of that stuff uh, makes any difference to what people actually learn. That makes no sense whatsoever. Are you just saying that because that's what you were going to talk about or... Uh... Well, I mean, I had a list that was longer than that. You did the typical four. I found one with seven, but I also did an alternate just to make sure I had other stuff to say. But the fact that there's no research to prove it, that's a bunch of nonsense. Well, no, no, no. Little evidence. It said little evidence to show that it that it really changes the outcome of learning, as the article I found. And I just thought it was funny because I was just kind of poking around looking for stuff on on learning. And I came across this kind of counter website that that said there really haven't hasn't been much much evidence to show that these different learning styles really make a a wide difference yeah i'm gonna call bullshit okay let's hear your list <laughs> now i'm not talking about you i'm talking about this website where you found it i i think they're full of it i i don't think that's that that's that sounds like one of those troll sites where they're just like saying the opposite thing just to get a rise out of people because now it's on the internet and like somebody will believe it you know what I mean? Like, just like, I, I think, you know, I think what it was, was they had, they had some other approaches to learning that were alternate to the typical and they were selling that. That's, that's my ah, guess. Being, being the, the cynic that I am, that's, that's my read on it. So the truth comes out. So basically they're making it sound like everything else is bad. Try our thing. Yeah. I, I would have scrolled down to page three and found the answer. But when you're only, you know, when you're only researching for three minutes, do you sometimes run out of time? Well, it, it, you know, try for four minutes next time, Tanda. It's a, I, I don't know what's wrong. Oh, that's a 33% increase, PJ. That's a stretch goal. Yeah, if I knew Tom would, was researching for five, I would have at least tried to, to be at parity with Tom. Well, I, I must just be really slow because I always give myself like an hour to go through everything. I start at six. <coughs> just, just, oh my God. Tom, Tom is choking. He's choking at the amount of time that I... I He's giving himself CPR. I don't know. Something's happening. Right, that was, right. Are you, are you okay, buddy? I'm all right. Yeah, I just uh, forgot how to drink water for a second. You know, you know, I actually left work really early today. Um, oh, no, you didn't. And so <laughs> oh I, w- I would have, I mean, yeah, j- just, just to pile on the guilt with, uh, with Tom, which then uh, was totally unintentional. I left work really early today because I went to uh, uh, meet with somebody uh, over a... Uh, a dealer's corner, nice. which is unusual for me. Um, so I ended up having some time to research because our uh, negotiation or our talk didn't take very long. But I didn't, I didn't do any research. But speaking of bargains, I hear that PJ's been flooded with with bargains. Well, yeah, well, we'll get to that in the dealer's corner. But um, but I, I wanted to point out that the ability to. Uh... <laughs> oh man, I thought I thought maybe we could just like jump right in. I, I just, you know, you should be aware that forgetting how to drink water is the first sign of a conniption. I just, you know, be aware, you know, like he's, this is the first stage. Like Tom is, he's, he's going through the steps. But uh, the, the thing that I have for the history is, uh, is very short because um, I'm not going to pile on to what you said. Um, but this is something you probably would really like, Tanda. Uh, I found the alternate, the alternate for my research was a brief history on deep learning which is a branch of machine learning that employs algorithms to process data to imitate the thinking process. Yep. So uh, even machines 
have to have a way to learn. So that's Deep that's learning. it. Yeah, we're 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 using it at work right now. Well, not right now. The robots are sleeping. Oh, uh, uh, we don't want to wake them up. So we'll, we'll just move on to the dealer's corner. Uh, sidebar, Tom. I'm gonna go. Yeah. Hey, I, I know you got to run, but that ploy to try to keep PJ from listing a big long list of research and superstitions it didn't it didn't work. We'll have to come up with something else for next week. I tried to jump him right to dealer's corner, but it didn't work. So I was just going to leave and do something. Oh, okay. And, uh, that's my plan. Oh, Sorry. Okay, that's yeah. good. Yeah, nope, there's PJ. Hey, PJ. Can't help you. Oh. What, uh, <clears throat> what, what's your bargains this week? You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. Okay. I don't know exactly what happened, but... I had a deal explosion last week. Like I haven't gotten this many deals ever. And because it was so massive, I'm going to have to go against my my general principles here and split it up into two weeks. So half of this is going to be next week's Dealer's Corner, because as much as I know you want to hear about two hours worth of stuff, it, it shouldn't all be Dealer's Corner. So that's, all, that's all I'm trying to say. It'll be, it'll be other things mixed in there. But last week, uh, we have a deal called The Brain Vice. And uh, there was this woman named Allison who had put up an ad for a Monarch four and a half inch vice. It's a static body, no swivel base, for 50 bucks. And I got her down to 40 bucks. And then this is the woman that forgot to bring it with her to work. I mentioned her last week. So then I came the next day. And the next day, in the morning, she goes, somebody else offered me 50. And I'm like, <sighs> and she's like, look, I really need the money. And I said, you know what? No problem. Because I had already set up a second deal. So I, if I didn't get it, then I was going to miss out. And then she confessed to me that the reason that she needed the money was because she had brain surgery and she was just stacked up in medical bills. And so she was trying to pay that off. So that made me feel better about paying more money. I was helping her with her medical bills and everything. So, you know, that's why it's called the brain vice. So I got that. And then in the same day, uh, I ended up going across the border into New Jersey. And this deal is called Get on the Train. Uh, there was this guy named Mark, and he had an ad up for a week for a locomotive skill belt sander. And if you have seen this before, it looks like a bullet train. And he was asking 35 but I got him down to 25. And when I got there, he had the, the sander and some belts just sitting outside. But then right next to it, he had a Milwaukee uh, corded drill. And he had a Miller's Falls. It, it looked like a buffer, but it actually held a cupped wire wheel. And I asked him, I said, is this a buffer? And he goes, no, it, that's a tool for wire wheeling. That's exactly what it's for. And it looked very old, like the sides of the motor had uh, screens on it, and one of the screens was gone. It was, it was, I, I don't know what year. I've never seen one before. But anyway, uh, I looked at him and I said, how about 40 for everything? And he looks at it and kind of like does like a mental calculation. He goes, yeah, 40 sounds good. So I got that. Then we move on to uh, a very key, key deal. The Jersey Drill Drive. There was this guy named Matt Kittle who listed a 1940s Walker-Turner floor model drill press for $40. But it was in New Jersey. It was about an hour and a half away. 
and I made the drive down there. I didn't even try to haggle them. 40 bucks is a steal for any floor model drill. And we get down there, and it had been out in the shed. He had gotten it from uh, a friend, and he thought he was going to repair it, and then he never did. So um, he just put it up for sale. And it's in rough condition. It's got a 220 Westinghouse motor, so it doesn't have the original motor, and it's missing a few parts. But anyway, we get to talking, and I tell him what I do. And, and I show him some Instagram pictures. And he's like, hey, are you going to the swap meet? And I said, well, I, I went to the, the Carlisle swap meet. And he goes, no, no, there's, there's one um, just across the border in Pennsylvania uh, in Bangor. It's called Jacktown. And I said, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. So then he got me to the website, and I found out that on Saturday this weekend, there was a swap meet happening. And I did not know about it, but the thing that sold me was he said, oh, well, it's free to get in and it's free parking. And I said, what? what? Those are speaking my language here, man. That's a, it cost me $22 to get into that Carlisle one. I was like, man, I was really unhappy about that. So I thanked him and I left. And then I sure did show up on Saturday. And that brings us to the next deal, which was really awesome. The Jacktown Swap Meet. So to start it off, uh, I found a guy that had a very large, overly rusted, uh, I believe it's a Vulcan chain pipe vise, the kind where you throw the chain over to and you, you tighten it from underneath. He wanted 20 bucks, and I'm like, eh, how about 10 bucks? And he's like, ah, yeah, sure. And he gave it to me. And the next thing I didn't get, but I'm going to add it in here, I went to another table and these guys had a little town vice, Litco vice with no base, rusted solid, and it, they had it marked for 15 bucks. And I said, How about 10 bucks? And they're like, No, we're not giving that to you for 10 bucks. You can't get a vice for 10 bucks. And I said, This thing needs a lot of work. It's rusted solid. And they're like, No, it doesn't. And I'm like, Yeah, it does. 10 bucks. And they're like, You can't get a vice for 10 bucks. And I reached into my wagon and I pulled out the pipe vice and I said, I just bought this for 10 bucks 30 seconds ago. And they looked at me like, well, good for you. And then I was like, all right, bye. <laughs> they were those, these, it was two guys. They were the only mean people that I, that I ran into. It was like, they, they said some unkind things that I won't repeat. So moving right along, I ran into these guys that were very cool. They had a Stanley router that I picked up for five bucks. And they also had, some empty tool cases. So I got a De two DeWalt tool cases and a Miller. Uh, they're all plastic like machine cases. I got those for three bucks for all three. And they even threw in a three prong uh, electrical plug because I always need those when I'm rewiring stuff. Gave me that for free. Then I walk up on this guy who's got a five and a half inch Monarch vice. And if you guys aren't familiar, th this is the second Monarch Vice. Monarch Vices are the ones that have the lion's head on the side. They're, they're highly desirable. Um, this thing was massive. It's, it's probably over 100 pounds. I have not weighed it. But it's a 5.5-inch Monarch Vice with the swivel base. And I, I approached the guy. And I'm, I'm, it, it's, it's got a crack going down um, the end of the neck. Obviously, somebody had hit it. And then the front jaw was loose because I think one of the screws was busted. So it's, it's seen some days, you know, some things have happened. And I said, so what are you, what are you thinking about this? And he goes, 
How about 160? And I look at him and I said, man, this, this thing is in rough shape. It's got a crack going down it and the jaw's like all hanging screwy. And I said, how about 100? And he goes, or actually, no, he said, he said, okay, okay, how about, how about 125? And I just stared at him. I'm like, how about 100? <laughs> and, and he's like, ah, yeah, okay, I'll give it to you for 100. You know, so, I, so this is, this is probably, a three to five hundred dollar vice. So I was happy to get it for a hundred bucks, but at the same time, that removed like a third of my money, like right off the bat. This was in the first 15 minutes of walking around. So then I had, because I had all the cases and I had the heavy vice, I had to make a trip back to the truck after 15 minutes because I couldn't fit anything else in this wagon. Uh, so then I, I go dump everything, I came back and I'm making my way through all the little vendors and stuff. And I find these two guys. One has this fantastic mustache. He's he's got like it's like a two inch thick white mustache, and he's got like the little handlebars curling up at the ends and everything. He looked like a cowboy, but he didn't have a hat. And I find um, a Rockwell brand handsaw, like a just a regular old wooden handle on the end, big long handsaw for seventy five cents. And I didn't know that Rockwell made handsaws. And I'm like, oh, I've got to have this. I'm a Rockwell guy. So I pay them. Guy guy gives me 25 cents. I'm like, what the f- am I going to do with this quarter? So then I turn around and right on the opposite side of him, this guy has a huge spread. And the first thing I see is this little nine inch tool craft bandsaw. It's a combination of cast iron and cast aluminum. And it is like complete but there's no motor and no stand and it's just laying on the ground. And I walk up and I, I just look down at it and the guy calls out to me, he goes, you have that for 10 bucks. <laughs> and I just looked at him. I said, 10 bucks. I'll take that for 10 bucks. And so I grabbed that and I put it in my cart. And then I look like not too far away from that. And I find this cast iron stove door that says, Vogelzang on it. And I'm guessing it's like a German stove. I don't know. I've never heard of Vogelzang before. And I'm like, well, uh, how much for this stove door? It's got all kinds of raised lettering. It's rusted solid, but it looks like it would restore cool. He's like, five bucks. Like, done. Not going to argue over that. I walk over to his table full of stuff and I find like a little machine box full of like two, um, two large chucks, Morse taper chucks. Uh, and then a bunch of like lathe implements, things that go with a lathe. And there had there had been like nine big chunky pieces of metal in there. And he wanted 25, but I talked him down to 20. So so I was like, ah, cool. More Morse taper stuff for the Walker Turner, because why not? My Walker Turner 1100 is Morse taper too. Uh, then I walked up to a table that had a Milwaukee Sawzall, picked that up for 10 bucks. And then I found some weird stuff. Uh, there was this guy that had like just a random, he had these bins of tools. And I saw these weird looking things that I'd never seen before. And it turns out they are test tube glass cutters. And the they look like pliers, but the ends where it would be like the thing that you pick stuff up with were about 10 inches long. And at the end, it had like this really tiny glass scribe and then like a little implement on the opposite end for kind of holding it in place. And there was two of them. There was two different brands. 
and um, there was he had it in like a dollar bin, and then on top of that, I found a Sears wrench, which I picked up for Ben. Ben makes KC. He loves collecting store brand things, so it should have been three bucks. I walked up to the guy, and we had a little conversation. I'm, I'm like, "How about two bucks for everything?" The guy's like, "Yeah, right, yeah, sure." So he had a lot of junk there. Then I move along. I find a guy that's got a distance saw and a 30-inch CT Co. vintage clamp. And this is one of those bar clamps that's got like a, a, a big a big swing handle. I don't know how to explain it, but it's like it's threaded. Um, and it's, let's just say it's a vintage clamp. I, I, the visual is not going to come. But anyway... Uh, I got the two of them for 10 bucks. Uh, the, the clamp by itself was supposed to be 10, and I think he wanted two for the saw. And I was just like, how about 10 for both? He's like, yeah, and then he gave it to me for 10. Then I started going further down, and somebody was passing me, just like a normal person. And they're like, are you finding everything you're looking for? I'm like, I'm working on it. And he's like, did you see that bandsaw back there on the trailer? And I said, what bandsaw? And he's like, over there. See those two guys? And he pointed to the two guys that I had bought the 75 cent Rockwell saw from. And I'm like, no, I didn't see a bandsaw. Where was it? And he goes, oh, it's on the trailer next to the road. So uh, I, I, he goes, I think it's a Delta. <laughs> I'm like, oh, let me turn around. So I turn around. I go all the way back there. And I see why I missed it, because it was like right next to a telephone pole. And I, like, I totally didn't even acknowledge that that was stuff for sale. It was behind a boat. These guys had brought a boat to sell, like a speedboat, and this was right next to that. So I was like, I totally blanked. So I go over and I look at it, and one of the guys comes over to me, and he's got it listed for 200 bucks. And so I start talking to him about it, and apparently uh, this used to be his dad's saw, and then either his dad gave it to him or his dad passed away. I can't remember exactly what it was, but somehow he got this... Rockwell Delta bandsaw, it's 14 inch, and he never used it. It's just been like sitting around and he didn't, you know, he wanted to pass it on. We're talking and I said, man, there's, I'm interested, but there's, there's just no way I could do 200 bucks. And he goes, well, what can you do? And I said, honestly, the best I could do for you is a hundred. I said, I'm, I'm not trying to lowball you. I'm just, I did not bring enough money here. And that's what I can offer you is a hundred. He goes, how about 120? And I just stared at him and I said, I really can't. I just can't. And so he's like, you know what, man? I don't want to take it home. You could have it for 100. I should point out now that this is a 1955 Delta 14-inch bandsaw with the miter gauge, which is the first thing to get lost. It also had the stamp steel belt cover. It had the retirement light. It had two extra blades. It had a half horsepower Rockwell Delta motor, and it had the rails for a fence, but no fence. However, I have a fence that I got with my metal cutting Delta, but had no rails. So this saw, and and did I say retractable wheels? It had retractable wheels too. This saw had like every possible option with the exception of the cast iron Art Deco base. This is an $800 bandsaw. And the more I stared at it, the more I'm like, I'm keeping this saw. <laughs> I'm not selling it to anybody. This is my saw. 
So I said I'd never do it, but I am going to sell uh, my Rockwell 14-inch, which is the first 14-inch bandsaw I bought, which also has retractable wheels. I'm going to sell that and keep this other one, which is older, and I think I just I like the style better. But um, that $100 effectively brought me down to nearly no money whatsoever. <laughs> Because I only I, I only brought like a little over 300 bucks with me. I didn't know what was going to be there. All right, so I moved to the next place. There was this mother and son that were, uh, they had like a double booth. It was pretty wide, lots of stuff. And I saw this um, cardboard barrel. And it had like one of those lids that had the, the, the metal ring going around it with a quick release to get it off. And I look inside and it's full of probably about 100 feet of 10 gauge three wire power cable. Now, I should point out, I have actually, um, the wire prices are going up everywhere because of COVID and all that stuff. And I was actually, that week, I was supposed to have bought 10 three cable and 12 three cable from Lowe's because I wanted to get it before the price went up and then I was gonna have to pay more. So at Lowe's, a 20 foot, spool of 10-3 cable is $35. A 25-foot spool of 12-gauge cable is $23. So that's the benchmark, okay? I'm looking at 100 feet of 10-gauge. So I said, um, what, do you, what do you want for this, uh, this barrel here? And they're like, mm, how about 25 bucks? And I said, uh, I don't know, how about 20 bucks? <laughs> And there was a little back and forth, and they're like, yeah, okay, you can have it for 20 bucks. And then I noticed behind it, it looked like there was either a 12-gauge or 14-gauge extension cable. But it was like, I don't know, maybe 10 feet long. It wasn't very big. And I'm like, how much for that extension cable? And they're like, 25 bucks. I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not taking that. <laughs> not, not doing it. So I got my barrel, and then I moved over to like the other side of their double booth, and there was a severely rusted Stanley hand plane. And it looks like it has a disease, like that's how bad it is. And I'm like, how much for this? And the son's like, oh, that's five bucks. And I said, how about three bucks? <laughs> and he's like, well, I really shouldn't, but yeah, okay, you can have it for three bucks. So I took that. Then I went quite a ways away from there and I found this guy that had a metal toolbox full of hand saws, just like the Rockwell. I ended up picking out five Distin handsaws and one Eagle Superior handsaw. And the guy originally was like, I'm like, how much are these? And he goes, about 50 bucks. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> and then I said, how about 20 bucks? And uh, that's what I ended up getting for it was 20 bucks. And there was only two more deals after this. Uh, I walked down and I found a guy that had like a bin of nonsense and, but in there, I found one of those torch barkers for starting a torch. And it was in a dollar bin. And I picked it up and I just held, I tested it to make sure it worked. And then I looked at the guy and I'm like, I bet 25 cents <laughs> because I had that quarter in my pocket. And he's like, who pays for something with a quarter? Nothing's a quarter anymore. And I said, well, I bought something for 75 cents. So I've got this quarter. <laughs> and the guy starts laughing at me. He's like, ah, screw it. Yeah, give me a quarter. <laughs> So I bought the sparker. I've been waiting this whole time for that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it came to that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm I'm like basically out of money. Like I have like I'm I'm on fumes now. I'm 
my I'm on my emergency funds now. Like this is money that I shouldn't be spending. So the last thing I picked up was uh, I found this guy who was super nice. We were talking for probably 20 minutes. He had a a Wilton undermount woodworking vise that looked like it was a quick release, but we could not get the quick release to work. Like it looked like all the parts were there. I've had several of these quick release vices, not Wilton specifically, but the quick release model. He was like, how about 25 bucks? And I'm like, I don't know, can we get the quick release to work? And he goes, I'm not sure this is a quick release. And then after like 10 minutes, I'm like, how about 20 bucks? And he goes, yeah, okay, you can have it for 20 bucks. And then that was it. Like that was the last thing I got. So like all said and done, I dropped $339 at the swap meet. I mean, the value is way above that. I mean, probably in like what I bought, I'm not even sure the value of the distance saws. I've got to consult those who know more than me, but I know that they're worth money. Uh, I think I probably cleared somewhere around $1,200, maybe $1,500, depending on how much stuff sells for. But that was it. Like that was, that was my dealer's corner. Man, that that's quite a haul. And it would be worth even more if you weren't keeping the, well, I guess you're going to sell your other drill press. So well, yeah, my, my Rockwell bandsaw, you'll, you'll re you'll recoup some or the, yeah, the bandsaw. Um, now did, now did your other bandsaw have the, the art deco base? None of my bandsaws have an art deco base. The, the Rockwell has, it's a bent flat steel base. So it's not like all of the other Rockwells have the standard like 1940s style, um, leg base that has the shelf and it has the flared out feet. Um, the Rockwell is from the 70s, and that's when they switched over from the other bases to these. It basically looks like um, almost like a little pyramid sort of a shape, and it's open at each end, and um, the motor is on a hinge. So like it, it just like the weight of the motor keeps the belt tensioned. So it's not it's not very attractive, but it works really well. There's zero wrong with it. It has been my main bandsaw for the last what, three, four years. Um, it just happens that this other one, which is older, does all the things I want it to do. You know, it has all the style. It's got the retirement light that, you know, that Tom sold before I could get it, you know, just things like that. Very cool. Well, that that was that was pretty cool that you... Uh... Huh, what? I'm back. Sorry. Um, did you say my name? Tom's been gone the whole time doing um, doing weird things with some strange man in his driveway. We, we won't talk about it, though. He's a chiropractor. True story. Oh, man. And it, did he try to lift anything heavy? And then did you harass him about it? Yeah. We just put a 2,500-pound mill in the back of a, what does he have? A Ranger? It wasn't a Ranger. It was like a Ranger. And uh, the cheapest U-Haul rental trailer. <laughs> that trailer's going to die. There's, there's. Is it like like the Mazda, the Mazda B2200 or whatever? I mean, it's fitting that this is the end of the dealer's corner segment because I just sold the bill. My first, my first uh, mill sale ever, but holy, I he's out of my driveway, which means like I don't, I don't know that guy. I don't know. <laughs> I've never seen that mill. I've never seen that mill in my life. I'm not liable for anything, officer. <laughs> I didn't sell him any alcoholic beverages. Right. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we we got a little bit of uh because your phone was still on and so uh, we got a little video in the beginning of the uh, of the driveway mill antics. I tried to show you a little bit, but I was trying to get him out of here. For those of you that are not familiar with the tiny U-Haul trailer, 
it looks like if you jumped on it too hard, you'd pop one of the tires. That's that's about the size. Yeah, pretty much. Like you could probably fit like a doghouse in there safely. Although if you read them, it says thirteen hundred pounds each. Each wheel. Yeah, I bet there's like a two hundred percent safety factor on those things because people are idiots. I don't believe that for a second. Let, let's hope so. Yeah, for his for his sake. <laughs> May God watch over his soul. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. All right. It's time for personal history on learning. Tanda? If people are familiar with the, like, Myers-Briggs personality types, which people may... Let's pretend that we're not, and you can explain it. Well, it's it's a uh, it's kind of a personality typing system that a lot of people use, and basically it breaks down into sixteen different personality types. And I won't go into that. I'll just say that my personality type, our problem with learning is that we like are learning addicted. We're constantly jumping to um, to the next thing to learn. And so when I was growing up, I was often just laying out in the middle of the floor, surrounded by books, um, any book I could get my hands on, reading about anything. It didn't really matter as long as I was learning something. So immediately what you remind me of is my ex-wife had cousins that lived in Memphis, Tennessee, where we lived. And the first time I met them, they're in their 50s, okay? The husband was a professional student. He had been going to school, to college, since he graduated high school. For decades, this guy has never had a job. He's only gone to school. So I can only imagine he's probably got like a million dollars of student debt that's just deferred. Like he just keeps on deferring (laughs) the same over like, are you going to make any payments on that, honey? No, I'm just going to take some more classes. They're 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 not going to get me. That's actually brilliant. Yeah, at some point you can't afford to quit school, right? I mean, if you if you're <laughs> deferring your student debt, then you're just like, uh, I think I'm going to have to just uh, take that last <laughs> couple classes and maybe hope that you know some new computer technology comes around so they they have a class I haven't taken yet. Yeah, you can't get ten jobs with your ten different degrees. Well, uh, the, you know, it, it's the problem is as soon as he applies for a job, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, you're overqualified. <laughs> You have forty-two master's degrees. We we can't afford you here. That's yeah, that's crazy. But but uh, you know, it's quite likely that it's kind of a similar similar thing where just you know, I, well maybe not. But um, but certainly I uh, I'm happy to just learn all day long. And so recently, I've kind of found something that has helped with that. Which if you're also a if you're familiar with the system and you're an ENTP type, I found a really interesting article on uh, just take away for every time you do one of those deep dive learning things, have some kind of work product that results, even if it's small, write a blog post, make a little video, Hmm. take notes to incorporate it into some, you know, presentation later, because you're not going to just change the way you exist and get better at not jumping from thing to thing. So just take away some tangible thing with each. And so it really got me thinking that a lot of YouTubers that I like, that probably has played into that, where they they go off and they do a deep dive and they're really learning something new and they make a video of it and they're done. Then they go off and they do something else. And so it's kind of a an avenue for 
people like us to to take advantage of our you know the kind of the, our existence and the way we do things because it's always been kind of a struggle it's kind of cyclical that way because they are adding to the research that someone else will then do on that topic. That's true. And then I tend to circle around and I think it's just natural for the personality type. So it's not like I just abandon it. I I go off and I'm doing something else. And then a week later or a year later, I come back to that topic and just pick up where I left off and build on what I already know. Mm-hmm. But instead of just building, the concept is with each time you you have some little takeaway that is a sellable thing or is a a recorded, you know, measure of where you were. And so you don't feel so much like you're just going in circles. I thought that was, that was really interesting, but I've, I've never had a problem with learning. Um, school was, was straightforward, at least in grade school, high school, college was a little, little more difficult, but yeah, put me in front of something that really piques my interest and I'll just read all day long or study it or watch videos or whatever and then move on to the next thing to be learned. And that's how I've how I've always always been. Tom's kind of shaking his head like maybe he has a bit of that as well. So, I'm going to go next. I completely relate to that. However, I don't think I discovered that until I was almost 30, which is sad. School for many of us, just didn't work for us. Like, we either weren't good students or schools weren't good teachers. I'm not... I didn't say teachers aren't good teachers. I said schools aren't good teachers for some people. And until I became a quote-unquote grown-up, I didn't realize I could just give my per- myself permission to do all of these things that I do now and explore these things and, like, I have time, I have money. Let's Let's just do what I want. Like, I know that sounds so silly or simple. That only happened... In the last 10 years of my life, I'd say, and everything I know today, I have learned on my own in those last 10 years. All right, not literally, but close. There's a word for that. I looked it up a second ago, and then I, ah, here it is. Autodidact. Have you heard that word before? Mm-hmm. Tom, stop making up words. Uh, self-taught? <laughs> yeah, no, so self, self-learning, or that, that that's your style, is to teach, yeah. teach yourself, you know. It's not a label, it's just a term, but but that's all I do now. And I, uh, like many, I think the maker community in general, if I can sum it up, is made up of people like this, and we like to dig into things and then dump them. And maybe, like you said, two years down the road, you're like, oh, I learned something about that, that applies, I can do that now, right? It's almost like you're... Like you're filing it away for later, but you're also building this kind of like compendium where then you you see things and you come up with, a, you know, a seemingly novel and creative solution because you take three different things that you've learned and mash them together to solve a, you know, solve something. And so it's a... Compendium, a collection of concise but detailed information about a particular subject, especially in a book or other publication. Whispering doesn't make it true, Tom. <laughs> I sorry, I missed what you said after compendium. Uh <laughs> Yeah, no. So, uh I have an analogy for that. I am learning things uh which are tools in my tool belt, but you don't always need that tool, but it should be in the tool belt. Yeah, and then it uh and I think that a lot of us or at least me, I can I can speak for myself, I guess I should only speak for myself, but really beat ourselves up over not finishing things 
because we're jumping off to the next thing, but then maybe cycle three back through, then you have a big finish and it comes really easy to you because you've been, you know, collecting the tool set for so long to do that task. And another problem I think some of us have is then it becomes so easy because you've basically been studying it for the last five years off and on that you discounted or, or, you know, don't collect anything for your efforts. I wonder if there's science behind what I'm going to try and say, but uh, it has to do with what you're saying. I have done two sessions on marble machines, small marble machines. I did it years ago. I did it this past year and I will do it again at some point. The difference between the first time and the second time was incredibly different. And I had zero practice between those events, but it's like, when you have that, when you're exposed to something new, I think you're learning more than you realize, and it just kind of settles, even if you're not thinking about it. And then when you go to that, when you do it the second time, those skills just come out so much more fluidly, and you're just better at it. So I think what you're talking about, Tom, is there's a there's a process of recognition for mental pathways. When you're learning something new, you're building new mental pathways in the brain. And just like anything that's kind of new, it's a little tender. You know, it has to solidify a little bit. So once it sort of becomes more, let's say, permanent, then when you go back to it again, it's it doesn't have that same sort of temporary feel to it. It's now like a permanent thing that you can push a little harder. This happens with a lot of things over time. Like when you hear people say how it's now muscle memory because they've done it so many times, they've rewired it into their brain and then solidified it over and over and over to the point where there's no thought needed. You just do it. So that's what's happening with the marble machine. You're building that up over time. Yeah. They, yeah. When my daughter, my oldest daughter was in maybe oh, grade school going into mid school, there was this whole thing in, in her school, at least like this learning spiral. And the whole concept was you touch on something and you learn a little bit about it and you go off to something else. But then you come back around to it like the next semester and you learn a little more and you build on it. And I was just like, this is supposed to be some kind of new revelation. Isn't that how people are supposed to learn? Just because I'm kind of natively wired that way. Where, what? what just happened? Where did PJ go? You just, oh. Yeah, I think he just got... Did he just force a sidebar on us and we weren't prepared? No, I think he just got up out of his chair, but I thought for a moment there it was he had been abducted. What just happened? Because he just kind of disappeared out of frame and then uh, he came back and he has a little bit of green slime kind of dripping off yeah. of his ear there. I don't... That was that was super weird. Man, I hope, he's, I hope he's okay. Oh, he's... Oh, Tanda, he's back. Hold on a second. Hey, uh, si- Tanda, sidebar? Yeah. I actually... I think we just did a sidebar. I don't have anything to say. Oh. Let's get back to PJ. Okay, let's on sidebar. All right. Sorry, that was weird. Oh, PJ's here. I don't know what just happened. I ran to go get more water because my water bottle ran out of water and my voice was getting raspy. So I, I went to go get a glass of water off the my nightstand. Riveting. That, that's probably... Is it my, is it my turn? What, what happened? That's, that, well, that's probably what's happened with most actual abductions yeah they really weren't abducted they just went they just went to get some water off the nightstand but that doesn't play well with the press wait wait is there somebody in the room with me you you, did you guys see something i i saw no 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 no. not as far as you know there was no one filling in for you while you were getting your water no okay all right well um well um 
Sure, let's let's go with that. That's uh, it's not creepy at all. Uh, we're, we're, we we kind of got sidetracked. What's your what's your history with with learning, PJ? So I'm gonna throw you guys for a loop because I'm gonna take it in two different directions. The first thing is I had no idea growing up that I had temp. Uh, I had no idea growing up. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> and then PJ and then PJ went to get another drink of water. <laughs> I had no idea growing up that I had attention deficit disorder. So for me, learning was overly difficult. Like I would sit, it was hard enough at school, but when I was at home, like if I had to do homework, I would sit at my desk with the homework in front of me for hours, unable to do the homework. Like I would just be staring at it. Tom is like having his conniption. He's like shaking his head and waving yes. his arms. So yes. I could not get my hand to put things on the paper. It was a, it was like a physical mental block. Yeah, I just couldn't do Keep it. Keep going. I'm with you. I, I had a roommate in college that would just sit and stare at his homework for like hours, but but he did a lot of hallucinogenic drugs and mushrooms and stuff. So I think it was something different. Was that Steve? You're talking about Steve, aren't you? No, no. Oh, it, okay. Never mind then. So I had a lot of difficulty with processes. None of the processes that were offered to me worked. So the things that I learned, I retained not through what they told me to do. Um, they were like, read this and study this and da, da, da. And what I actually was able to, the way that I learned was when they were talking in class, I would remember things that were said or some things. But basically, if it was like a story, if somebody was telling a story, then I could remember it. Like I did really well in history class because history is a bunch of stories. If I tried to read the history books, it was like pulling teeth. I just, it was not something that was interesting. It was so dry. Everything I had to somehow relate it to something interesting. Otherwise, I just, I just couldn't do it. Like it just it wouldn't work for me. Like uh, even though I'm a writer, English was one of my worst subjects. And like I, I am dyslexic, I'm mildly dyslexic. So even today, like I will flip around words or letters or I'll type the same word twice. Uh, I'm very bad at spelling. Um, I will I will write a word that anyone can write easily and I'll look at it and go, that doesn't look like it's spelled right. I did spell it right, but my mind tells me it's spelled wrong, even though the computer is mm -hmm. like, no, that's perfectly fine. But if you have Microsoft Word, you'll find that you type in a word and it will tell you that it's spelled wrong when it's actually correct because Microsoft Word only has 35,000 words in its dictionary versus the, what is it, 250,000 words in the English language, something like that. You're playing a game every time you're typing something. Is it really <laughs> wrong or is it me? You know, it's it's hard to figure out. I had a... Um... I was laughing because I had a history teacher when I was in high school who was like so incredibly dry. It was difficult to uh, to even stay awake, let alone learn anything. But each year, and and I apologize to any people who had him after after my class. Um, but we ru we ruined the only really interesting, exciting thing that he did during the whole semester. And he would bring in his like black powder handgun, and during talking about the Revolutionary War, he would talk about how close people actually were when they were firing guns at one another for them to, to do any damage. And he would put some wadding in it and actually fire it in class. And so my friend Chris volunteered to get up and be his adversary 
like and stand across the room. So he was maybe 15, 20 feet away. So he, which is probably ill conceived anyway, because even if it's just wadding, it could, could possibly hurt somebody, you know, um, but he'd been doing this for, yeah, yeah that's bad. He, he, <laughs> he had been doing this for years though, with no, no harm. And so he fires, he fires the gun and my friend just drops to the floor and starts writhing around on the floor, screaming. <laughs> oh my God. And, and, and the, and the teacher about had a heart attack. I mean, he, I, I thought he was going to, and my friend was totally fine. He was just totally acting. That's brutal. Um, but, wow. but I think that was the last, the last year that, that, uh, that history lesson ever had any, any interest. And that's why we don't have guns in school anymore, Tanda. <laughs> black powder guns are perfectly fine you know in my in my school i shouldn't joke about it my my school had a, no. had us actually had one of the national school shootings but yeah but that was just funny because he was so boring people would climb out the back windows while he was lecturing because he just kind of stared up at the ceiling uh while oh, he was God. lecturing and he didn't he didn't care or didn't notice so in that vein um i had a history teacher named mr bellis and he was a Green Beret in Vietnam. So whenever we would be like bored in class for whatever he was trying to teach us, we'd be like, Mr. Bellis, Mr. Bellis, tell us one of your stories from Vietnam. And so Green Berets, I, I believe it's a six-man team or is it eight-man team? It was very small. Like they, there was not like a bunch of them. It was just a little group. And so he was telling us that they were, um, they were behind enemy lines and they were camped out on this river at night. And when you're like the area that they were in, first off, you couldn't have a fire going because if you had a fire going, they'd see you and then you were dead. So they're sleeping. There's one guy that's on guard, right? And so they're on the river and they see this big shape moving towards them. And they're basically... The guy that's on on watch thinks that it is a Viet Cong mobile hut. They had these straw huts that floated on the water. And so it's it's coming towards them. And so of course he like gets up the other guys and like they're getting ready for a fight. And one of the guys grabs a bazooka and fires it. And then there's this huge explosion. And he said, We heard the worst noise we've ever heard. And it still haunts me to this day. And they waited until morning, and they had blown up an elephant. Oh, oh man. Yeah. He said it was like the entire body was gone. It was just like legs and a head. And he said it was it was the most horrific noise. he'd. But we were like, no way. You, you shot an elephant? And he's like, well, we didn't know it was an elephant. We thought that they were coming to get us. And he says, you're in the middle of the, the jungle and you're terrified. He's like, these people are coming to kill you. So, you know, yeah, that's what happened. And so that, that's like one of the few stories I was like, that's the stuff I remember. It's like, that's a great story. I've never seen anybody blow up an elephant in a movie. I, uh, I feel like I have to share my history teacher story now. It's very <laughs> well, brief. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Go for it, Tom. My history teacher was a millennial and there was nothing interesting about him. That's all. Oh, that's all. I had I had a history teacher in in grade school that was an aspiring hypnotist, and you can just mention hypnotizing people, and that was it. You, no, there was no more lecture. Um, he he, awesome. he would go that's off he would go off talking about it, and so that that's all we learned in uh, 
in history. Getting us back on track from this derailed argument here, or derailed train, or whatever conversation we're having here. Moving into college, um, I didn't really learn anything. But there, well, I take that back. I might have mentioned this once before. There was one thing I learned when I was at college, and it was in a really dumb elective class. It was like uh, Middle Eastern Studies or something like that. And it was really, really boring. And the, the professor is like, he stopped in the middle of one of the lessons. And he's like, look, guys, I know that you don't want to be here, but this is the point in your life where you should be learning how to individually think for yourselves and make your own decisions. Now, I think I was a sophomore at this point, possibly a junior. And this was the first time anyone had ever said that to me, that I should be learning to think for myself and make my own decisions. Because up until that point, uh, I had been just doing what everybody told me to do. I, oh, well, you're going to graduate high school, and then you're going to go to college, and you're, you're going to get married and have kids, and you're going to do all these things like everybody wants you to do. And this guy is like, no, you, you should be making your own decisions. And I got mad. I really got angry that I had not learned this sooner. Like, it was not obvious to me. Now, I don't know if that's the ADD or if that's something else, but um, that was like the only thing I really learned in college that I can repeat to you. I can't tell you uh, the, any other useful fact. Like, I have useless facts. Like, I remember in child psychology, the downy fur that babies are born with is called lanugo. <laughs> that's that's the thing I remember. That, that'll send Tom off to the Google. Yeah. I'll be right back. Yeah. That's useful. That's a real thing. It's I think it's peach fuzz. I think that's what it is. Lanugo is peach fuzz. And we never actually lose it all the way. But But anyway... Moving into like full-on adulthood, like out of the school system, there were there's two two roads this kind of goes down. Um, the first road is most of the things that I was good at doing, like taking things apart, I had learned on my own. I have I have previously mentioned my father had an electronic shop, a repair shop before I was born, and he would throw things out, and when he threw them out, I would take things apart. So all of that was learned with zero supervision and just curiosity. If I broke something, I broke it. Didn't matter. So then that, that skill set, you could say that I learned it by myself through discovery. Um, but the things that I utilized for that, like doing the copier repair work, were, they're what I call like, they're upgrade courses. That's, that's about how I could say it. Like they're upgrade courses. Like you already know how things work. You know how mechanics work. You know what a screwdriver is. Here's the information you need to know for this specific machine, for these parts, for this model. And they would just give you like a map. This is how this, this specific model works. You know how all the other things work because you've done it before. And so over the 11 years that I did um, professional troubleshooting, I would just get like these upgrade classes where it would be like a week, two weeks, three weeks, and they would just give you like like it was physical you did like here do this and then you would do it and if you did it wrong there were consequences like when i got color copier training when you change the developer which is like powderized metal um, you have to hold on to the developer housing otherwise you get shocked and the the instructor tells you that you got to hold on to the housing when you're doing it or you're going to get shocked and this is like 600 volts negative 600 volts okay so I was changing it and then someone distracted me and then I took my hand off of it 
And then I'm like, oh no. And then I grabbed it and then I got shocked. Then I let go again. Then I grabbed it again. Then I got shocked. And this happened like three times until I held on and everybody's laughing because they know exactly what's happening, right? Hey, Tanda, sidebar. Yeah. Um, I think that explains everything. It, it does. It does explain a lot. I understand PJ wholly, entirely holistically yeah but uh, that must have been that must have been a little little while back because i don't think you're allowed to shock add kids now to get them to learn things i I think that's been (laughs) been omitted from the protocol no so i i think i mean you you probably do it at home to like homeschool kids but not public school kids they'll tell right yeah yeah you can't and you can't teach in uh when you're teaching kids about small motors you can't have them hold on to the the coil while you pull oh. the the handle anymore. There was a guy. Oh, I think guy he's got still telling the story. He's coming. Oh, he's yeah, coming there back. He is. He's coming back. He's still he's still talking. And then I grabbed it again, and I got shocked again. And, and but the, but at that point, somebody shut the machine off. I think they felt bad for me. So after fifteen times of getting shocked, uh, I think I was starting to look a little weird. So, <laughs> but um, but anyway, uh, moving along. I uh, this is where it's going to take a left. So depending on what your belief systems are. Uh, I've had a lot of previous lives. Uh, I won't go into how many, but every single life I've had, I've been in service to others. I've been doing things for other people. And this time around, I am in service to no one. This is like my vacation life. So I have a ton of karmic gifts from past lives. So what does that mean as far as learning goes? I know how to do all kinds of things that no one taught me how to do. I just know how to do them, just out of the blue. And there's this is, this is the explanation I have, is that these are karmic gifts. This was something that was hard learned for me um, when I was interacting with other people because I would be able to do something very easily. And I would say, here, you do it. And they're like, I, I can't do that. And I'm like, why not? I just did it. And it took me a number of years to figure out that I had way more, the ability to do way more than a normal person. And I am still finding out things that I know how to do that I have no business knowing how to do them. It's like as things, like as I'm presented with stuff, these things occur. Now, that doesn't mean I know how to do everything. There's all kinds of stuff I can't do. But one of the things that I have been really feeling a hard pull and draw into, which Tom and I have talked about, and so have you, Tanda, is machining. Like, I have zero machining training at all, but I have a huge pull towards it. And I get the impression that once I actually have a mill and a lathe and a few other tools, there's going to be like, a, how did you learn? How to, who taught you how to do all this stuff? That's what I think the reaction is going to be like. The machinists are going to be like, you, you've been hanging out with Tony. Somebody told you how to do this. I'm like, no, no, it's it's not how it's going. You know, this is this is it. I have I have something that's I mean, sort of similar that happened to me because I grew up. My dad, we just kind of did everything for ourselves and didn't hire people to do things. And so, if work needed done on the house or whatever, we just did it. Um, but then, after I'd gone off to college and had my own house and and started doing things. There were a number of times where I would talk to my dad on the phone or in person and I would say, oh, I'm doing this or that, or I'm, you know, I'm doing drywall in the, you know, in the kitchen or we're remodeling or I'm doing texture. And, and he's like, well, where did you learn how to do that? And I'm like, oh, we, we did it growing up. And he's like, no, no, we never, 
we never did that. We had a guy come in <laughs> and I th- and I think there were those few things where like we actually had a friend of his or something come in and texture or, you know, somebody helped out or we hired, you know, someone to, that had some experience and I just, you know, watched them and, and learned. And, uh, and so later on I felt like I had done it. You know, I felt like, oh, I remember when we did that to the house, whether it was me and my dad or somebody of his that came over that helped or something. And so I think just having that, that little bit of confidence, like you've done it before, even if you were just a kid watching and grabbing buckets for someone, you kind of have this little sense of like, maybe it's false confidence that, oh, I've done that before. I'll just dive right in. And it helps. So, so you're saying that your not real uncle Bob was the original form of YouTube. Yeah, yeah, it was my not my not real Uncle Bob, that was uh, yeah. He called him Uncle Bob, but he <laughs> he was just a guy. He he was just a guy, and he and he really wasn't wasn't there. He was he just actually was the neighbor carrying a bucket over, and I thought, oh, that's how you drywall. <laughs> so Tanda, on that note, the first house that I owned, um, I remodeled about um, I don't know maybe a fourth or a third of the house, you know, drywall, flooring, bathroom tile, all that stuff. No one taught me how to do it. Right. Remod- like if you came in and looked at you wouldn't be able to tell that I didn't know what I was doing. I just did it. It needed to be done. I'm like, oh, well, I guess I need some sheetrock. Uh, well, what do I need? Some tape. Need some mud. Uh, let me go get a spatula. And I just was like, I just went down the checklist. I need these things. Let me go get them. Yeah. I didn't know the name of stuff a lot of the times, but I knew what I needed. Like spatula? Yeah, like spatula. Putty knife? Putty knife, you know, the spatula. Yeah, I think sometimes it, it's helpful to to not know what you don't know. I mean, as long as you can kind of wing it and come out okay. I mean, I, I think you have to have a certain aptitude for, for problem solving. But I think sometimes people get hung up with worrying about whether they've had any training or whether they can or can't do something. And... And quite often, if you just dive in and then and then look around for the resources, you know, some little pamphlet or, you know, there wasn't really YouTube, but, you know, there's usually some little guide or, you know, some old time life handyman book that you still have laying around or something. And you can glean enough from that to keep you moving forward. So what you're talking about there, Tanda, is what I refer to as the map. That's the little upgrade courses that I was talking about, where you already know a thing. You're just looking for item specifics. So that's what that is. You're just getting you're getting that two percent of information that allows you to do the ninety eight percent because you already know the ninety eight percent. Right. You know, I think that something that probably everyone listening has had this experience. If you're a maker and do this sort of thing, and you just do it, you just like figure it out and you do it, and then like ten years later. You see someone do it with the correct tool or with the correct technique that was actually taught to them by someone with years of experience. And you go, oh, man, that would have only taken me like an hour. It took me half a day. <laughs> but but it got, I got it done and it looks just as good. But I could have done that in like 10 minutes. Um, I'm sure everyone, you, know, you both laughed. So I'm sure everybody's had that had that experience. And was like, oh, there's a tool sure. for that? Tool for who, that? Who doesn't have that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I... There's there's several instances where I found out there was a specialty tool for something that I was doing, and I'm like, oh, that that's a thing that exists. Who knew? Well, shaky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial interviews and stuff. 
Hello, this is Chet down at Johnson's Hardware. Do you have trouble staying focused when you're trying to learn stuff? You just can't quite keep your eyes facing forward? Well, we have just the solution for you. Introducing Uncle Larry's Learning Licorice. That's right. You need a little pick-me-up to keep you going? Kids, we know you need all the help you can get. So we have camouflaged Uncle Larry's Learning Licorice into various shapes, like pencils, erasers, rulers, and compasses. So you can munch on them right in the middle of class to get all the energy you need. Our patented blend of sugar, coffee, cocaine, and jalapenos will keep you focused rock solid all day long until you crash. It keeps you focused even when you may not need more focus. However, we should warn you, it may cause dehydration, jitters, crazy eye, and uncontrollable sneezing. If you would like to get your own little package of Uncle Larry's Learning Licorice, come on down to patreon.com forward slash makerskills and pick one up for only $5.95. Well, Dagnabbit, I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. Tom, what skill goes well with learning? Teaching. It's what I do on Instagram. I learn something, and then within 30 seconds of learning it, I teach it to everybody. And it reinforces what I learned. That is a skill, and it is acceptable. Now, I did not say you should be learning what I'm teaching, but that's what I do. Oh, it's totally invalidated now. No, oh, shoot. I'll come up with something else. Right. Tanda, what skill goes well with learning? Yeah, I, I would have to agree with Tom. It doesn't really matter if, if anybody's learning anything while you're teaching but the act of teaching is a great is a great way to learn you get it so uh, and since tom took learning then uh, i'm gonna have to say insomnia is a is a good pairing with learning because once you once you start learning you just there's no time for sleep anymore so insomniacing is going to be my skill sidebar tom is there a pill for that tom sidebar yeah yeah, I'm here. Yeah, she's, I made it. she's trying that? to pass insomnia as a skill. That's that's not it's a, a that's not condition. A skill. It's a condition. It's a condition. Yeah, that's that's like saying sneezing is a skill. Is it a learned condition? No, it's like an involuntary condition. I feel like some people make poor choices and have insomnia. I'm not saying that's all insomniacs. I think it's a it's a real condition. But, but I I have insomnia and I don't want it. But I'm saying if if you have poor decision making, and that's a skill. And then, therefore, you have insomnia. You, it's a skill. I think it's a skill. Tom, are you having the conniption from like an hour ago? Is that what's happening right now? Because this is not making any sense. Okay, the sidebar's over. <laughs> uh, uh, Tanda, um, yeah, t- insomnia is not a skill. All right, I, I think uh, it, it's um, oh, it's not a skill. No, no, that's no. a condition. Oh, okay. Then I'm going to go with design. How does design <laughs> pair with learning? Oh, I mean, you have to learn something if you're going to design anything. And the more things you learn, the, the better you are at designing things because you can put things together that you've learned into new designs. I, I think that's airtight. That's airtight logic. I don't think you can put yeah. holes in that. All right, fine. Yeah, whatever. It's a skill. That's a, well, you know what my answer is? Okay. Reading. You got to read to learn. How do you like them apples, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think I've used teaching before. Probably. I was double dipping. I guess so. <laughs> Reading. God. It's our shortest segment of the show. We just got to cut this segment out, I think. That's <laughs> no, fun. We'll give it a couple more it's weeks. It's fun. Yeah. It is fun. Hey, uh, are you going to fix that? So I fixed something today 
that I've been trying to figure out how to fix for the last two years, maybe three years that I've had it. Uh, I got from my father this folding table that probably, I don't know, maybe it's from the 70s. It's hard to tell. But it is, it is a bizarre folding table. It is in three pieces, and it folds up into sort of like a suitcase. Like it has like the, the two smaller um, halves fold out on hinges, and the legs pop out from underneath. But anyway, it is an aluminum frame, but the inside of the panels is like this compressed, it's not hardboard, but it's like some type of fiberboard. So it's not really like, it's a little squishy, let's just put it that way, but it's it's good enough to hold things up. However, the way that the fiberboard is attached to the aluminum frame is the aluminum frame is sort of like C-channel. So it's just kind of seated in there. The problem is, as you get to the corner of each panel, the only thing that holds the corner together is the fiberboard. So the aluminum pieces aren't attached to one another. The fiberboard is like the strength. Well, remember I told you in the dealer's corner that I bought that really heavy Monarch vise from the swap meet? Uh, one of the corners has been sort of sagging and I put it on the table and it almost ripped the whole table apart. <laughs> so so what, what, what was a small problem just suddenly became a very big problem. And I had to quickly go get a clamp and clamp it back into place in order to keep the table from like just totally destroying itself. So I, I wasn't sure what to do because it's it's made of this really sort of like spongy material and it's it's not like I, I don't even think I could replace it with something else. I don't I don't I, I've been trying to like it's been slowly breaking for the last three years. Like when I got it, there's two corners that are already like that were starting to sag. I don't you probably don't recall because it was it was badly described. But when I was at the first swap meet with Juan with old timey tools, he gave me this weird thing that we couldn't identify that had like a like it was like a ceramic cone with a coil around it and it was had like a bunch of wood parts on it. Somebody told me that it's actually a smoke maker for a theater, um, but I don't know if that's true. But one of the things that was attached to this is I believe like a fiberglass plate. I'm not even sure, like it looks like it's from the 70s but it's some kind of weird fibrous hardboard. And I was I was disassembling this thing to throw it out because I have zero use for it. But then suddenly I'm looking at this hardboard, which is very thin. It's like an eighth of an inch thick. And it's about maybe 10 inches long by about four, four to six inches across. And I'm looking at this thing going, this looks pretty sturdy. I wonder if I could fix the table with that. So then I cut it in half. So I had two squares. And I flipped the table upside down, and then I fit the squares into the corners that were like falling down so I could push them back into place. And then what I did was I marked out like there was just a really, really tiny, like maybe like a quarter inch lip of C channel. I marked out like with a little Sharpie where to drill holes. And then I drilled through the, the aluminum C channel, and then I got pop rivets. And I just made like pop riveted in an L shape into the corner in both of them. I thought that it was going to go through to the top, but what ended up happening was it pulled like the, the pop rivets actually exited the top. But as I started like triggering the gun, it pulled them down below the surface 
and connected the lower part of the C-channel, which I didn't even think would happen, but it locked this plate into place and that's how I fixed the table. It was, it was basically like it was a good idea, but then I fixed it by accident because that wasn't what I was trying to do. I was trying to make it lock into the top, but then it sucked itself back down into the panel. So it's, it's basically like there's a string of holes on the top, but other than that, it looks exactly like it did before. That's definitely a necessity being the mother of invention story. You know, something that you've put off and then finally you, you crush it with a vice or in some other way it breaks and you're like, okay, now I have to fix it. And so you tackle it and come up with a solution. There's one other thing I need to fix on this table. Actually, maybe you guys could come up with a good solution. I told you that it folds out, like the legs fold out from the bottom and it's got, uh, there's two parts. So there is... So the legs are sort of like a giant U-shape, and they're hinged at the end of the U. Inside that U-shape, there is a shorter U that you push up against the wing that's folding out, and it holds the wing in place, okay? So the other thing that holds the wing up is there are these hinge locks that fold. You know, it starts out like a, like a V, and then you fold it, and it becomes straight, and it's supposed to hold the table up. Mm -hmm. The problem is this thing is like 40 years old and they don't stay locked. Like they'll collapse on themselves if you if you bump into the table. So what I've been doing is I have two C-clamps that I keep around the handle and I just take the C-clamps off and I clamp the locks in place so they can't move. Right. Because the 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 these locks have like a it's a type of rivet that goes through it, and the rivet has loosened up. So there's no real pressure to hold it together. And that's another thing that I really haven't figured out. Like, I, th the only thing that I really thought maybe I could do is drill through it and put a pin through that's removable. So I could just put the pin in whenever I need to lock it and then pull it out when I'm done. But I don't really have any other good um, solutions. Does it have to stay really flat? I mean, could you drill the drill the um rivet or the little hinge piece out and then put a standard screw through and Loctite a nut on it or something? Or will that interfere with the mechanism because it's too high profile? I believe that it will hit the leg when you fold it back up. Because the legs come really close to that other, right next that to other it, yes. leg. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very tight space. Where do you keep this table? Uh, right now it's at, I keep it fold it up at the front of the garage like when i open the garage door it's like right there and then i just take it out and mm. set it in the driveway but if it's not there then it's it's in the dungeon it's got a little corner and what's the main what's it made out of you said aluminum and it's a, fiber yeah it's aluminum and some kind of fiberboard it's 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 almost like um you know those like ceiling tiles it's almost like that but like double density it's 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 weird. weird. It's a weird. I don't. I can't identify it. I think our neighbors had one growing up. It was. I think it was like a uh, like a picnic, like a something you could take out of your trunk of your car and set up to have a picnic or something. It was like a real small, real collapsible folding table. This is a big table. This is like a this is like an eight foot eight foot by four foot table. It's not small, but it's it's oh well, it's it's built the same, but then it's yeah. quite different. Theirs was like a card table, but it folded up like that. Does it have any value? Does it have any value? I mean, I, yeah. I need a table. Like, would someone steal it? Uh, I doubt it. Yeah. So here's my solution. You put it outside. You set it up. You lock everything together. You just use, use tape. Use whatever you got to use. 
and never fold it again and just leave it outside. It has no value and it sounds like it's weatherproof. Uh, it is not weatherproof. It is made of spongy board that will die as soon as the water hits it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was fiberglass-ish. Well, then it'll have absolutely no value, and you, and you could just throw it out. No, I used the fiberglass to repair it. Oh, well, you should just replace the top, and then after you replace the top, replace the legs with something more sturdy, and then you're good. You could replace the top with, with epoxy and make a folding river table. I haven't seen any folding river tables. I haven't seen any folding river tables. I'm going to Google it right now. Keep talking. There's got to be like like a folding card table, like a river card table. Okay. I don't, I don't know how we got onto this, but I need help with the locking mechanism, not what the table's made of. Well, yeah, but if you waterproof oh. it, then you don't have to worry about the locking mechanism. I still want it to be storable, you know? Exactly. You might, you might be able to um, take a little piece of tube. I mean, if you like... Um, don't want to machine something, you might be able to take like a little piece of tube that'll fit through the hole if you drill that out and then just peen the edges so it stays in, but it's flat. Just kind of make your own little fastener by by putting a little piece of tube through the hole and peening the ends out. Like flare the end out a little bit, put it through the hole and then peen the other side. You mean like making my own rivet? Yeah, essentially. Out of a little piece of tube that fits through the hole. I mean, drill the hole out to match whatever tube you have. You know what? Um, I'm going to dip into the uh, the dealer's corner for next week. I think I may have uh, a container with multiple size small rivets that I, I might be able to do that, that I bought. That could work. The other option would be um, just drill out the hole and get a little, uh, like one of those little plastic knobs, like the phenolic knobs or their plastic knobs and a, and a screw and just keep it handy there by the table uh but i've got to have four of them and then when you open when you open it when you open it up just crank them down on the on the little on the little hinges yeah but i gotta have four there's 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 four of those lock things so and i don't want to i don't want to have it like where parts are just going to be like easily lost I'm, I'm trying to make this as simple as possible so that way i just like pop it open set it up i don't have to worry about losing anything like right now everything is it all fits together. Like even the C-clamps that I have, I put them on the handle. So it's always there with the table. I'm trying to just make it as simple as I can. Like I, th- I know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. but there's there's no way for me to store those knobs. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it, it seems it. almost like if I could, if we could. I got it. What do you got, Tom? Tom, Tom, Tom's got a, had a eureka moment here. I did a little one. So you'll need to uh, get a, uh, a thin piece of metal, spring steel, if you've got it. Um, and you can basically just for lack of a better way of doing it bolt it to one of the arms of the v right it kind of goes like this right yeah and the spring steel extends into the other arm and it has a catch on it that you can easily bend around the other arm and when you lock that arm the catch will keep it from collapsing how does it catch the other arm uh you you basically bend a little lip like have you have, man it'll work i just don't know how to explain it to you <laughs> have you seen the i mean this is not what i'm not trying to explain what tom's saying but have you seen the the tables that work where they just have basically a little flat c that slides over that joint and yeah. locks it into place maybe you yeah. could just bend something up to do to behave like that i had originally thought about doing that and it's it's not um there's not enough space like so even be... even that's too thick yeah, it's it's like right up against it. Magnetic C channel. You just slap them on there when you open it up. 
That's not a bad idea. That would work. Are they are are they steel? Yeah, that would be that would be clever. Well, don't steal them. You should make them. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd yeah. steal them if I knew somebody that had them. But um, I I, it, the, I believe that the hinges are steel. Every the frame is aluminum, but um, the hinges I believe are are steel. Yeah, that 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 would be clever. Just put some magnets in the base of a little like section of C channel, and then just snap it over because the magnets just have to hold it on. The sides of the C channel are doing all the work. That's true. Um, I wonder that'd be, that'd if be I slick. could. If I could do that and then make the magnets hold on to the legs when I fold the whole thing up, mm -hmm. then they would store. Well, even the backside of the C would probably still be magnetic enough that it would just, you could stick it onto the metal somewhere. That's a possibility. Let's let's run with that. To the legs or, legs or the rails or something. Let's run with that. I'm going to see uh, what I can find out um, and go from there. I think that's a doable. That's a, that's a realistic solution. Well, sucky darn, you did fix it. Ain't that something? All right, it's time for short and sweet. Tom, you got anything to close out the show? You know, I don't. I'm going to update you next week. But right now, there is a man driving five and a half hours to Virginia in a tiny truck and a tiny trailer. And I'll let you know if he makes it. Should we watch the news? Oh, with a giant Bridgeport, with a giant Bridgeport mill in it. We made fun, but I sure hope that he does make it. That's that's of not course. a not a super safe thing to uh, to do. So I hope he makes it without incident. He's not. He's 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 not an idiot? Question. Uh, <laughs> like he's a chiropractor. He's a doctor, and I'm not a doctor, but that was questionable. But you play one on a podcast. I play one on a podcast when I feel like it. I've met quite plenty of questionable doctors. So there's 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 lots of people that make it through medical school that can't even tie their shoelaces. So that's not really yeah. a qualification. But he wrenches on stuff. He does car stuff. Like he has some other experience. I yeah. I'll leave it at that. Okay. I hope he makes it, and I hope he calls me to help him put the mill back together in a week. All right. Well, update us next week. We'll, we'll find out what happens. We'll do. The saga continues. Tanda, you got anything for short and sweet? I think for short and sweet, I'm just going to say that uh, spend spend some equal parts of learning about yourself. And uh, it's, a, it's a really good thing to learn about. Find out kind of how you work and and spend some time introspecting and it'll help with all of your, all of your learning if you know kind of what your weaknesses are and what your strengths are and play to them. All right. Well, as for me, um, this will probably be the only time you guys ever hear this, but, but my shop is, is full. The, there's a truck full of stuff in, the, in my driveway, and there's no place for it to go. I've, I, have, I have officially have I've run out of room. My rabbit hole is full. The shop is full. The truck is full. And, and that's all I can tell you. You need some tents. I have a tent. Well, there's it set up? To, are there tools in it? No. Well, there you have it. I don't, I don't, I don't see the problem. I didn't say there was a problem. I just said I ran out of room. Well, not if you have a tool tent. But you, exactly. Um, oh, I, I thought you were asking me if I was tense. I'm not, I'm not tense. You have two tents. I'm not too tense. Not at all. No, I'm, I'm very relaxed. It's, it's not a problem. It's, there's nothing wrong. It's, well, that's it's not good. A, not a problem at all. I look at it. Look at him. I don't think. I don't. I don't think he's telling the truth. I think he's like circus tense. Why do, you, why do you keep asking me questions? There's nothing wrong. Every, everything's fine. It's all perfectly fine. It's the licorice. 
it's the erasers that weren't licorice. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. And now for some nonsense. Tom, do you remember that time that me, you, and Tanda went down to Australia to teach some makers? Uh, I, you know, I'm not sure. Can you refresh my memory? Oh, I told you. I told you you wouldn't remember. It's the spider bite. I mean, yeah, yeah. It yeah. totally, I mean, he was out for half a day, like out, out, like unconscious. What was that? Was that that, that tunnel spider? What the heck was it called? I, I don't know what it was called, but I now have a... a mortal fear of them after seeing a big guy like Tom just gone, like out. And then when he came to, he was loopy and useless for another day. Well, it's a good thing that those those Aborigines were there with that. They they knew what to do. They had the antidote. Apparently those things, I mean, that's like one of the eight deadliest spiders on the planet. And Tom was just shoving his hand down that hole like he had lost the, I don't know what he was looking for. What did you drop, Tom? It was like trying to find a wedding ring in a pea trap. My rabbit's foot. That's probably the thing that saved you, but it also caused the problem. So I, I don't know. It's, it's very cyclical. But but yeah, that uh, I, I, I yeah I think it was a tunnel spider. Could have been, but but t- we went on to teach the uh, teach the class, and and it worked out pretty well. I I think. I mean, there were a lot of Aborigines who I think got a lot of uh, use out of it, as well as the local school children and. Pretty much anyone and everyone who came. I mean, I don't understand why exactly we had to teach them how to make walking sticks. I mean, you'd think that they would know how to... I mean, there's there had to be someone there that knew how to make walking sticks before we got there. I mean, th- they showed up with walking sticks. Well, that's... Yeah, I mean, it was pretty obvious, and I think we were... I, I don't know. When we signed up for it, we didn't really know where we were going or what we were going to do. And so the whole idea of carving walking sticks kind of was going south. But then when we made up the game that you could play and told them that they were, you know, like the actual sporting goods to play this game, I th- I think we pulled it off. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it worked. But I mean, it didn't really, it wasn't really fun until the kangaroos showed up and they... I, I don't I've never seen a kangaroo in person until that point and uh, I didn't realize that they would actually grab all of the things that we'd carved and um and and handle them I, I, I didn't realize that they they could grab things yeah I, I mean I think if it hadn't been if it hadn't been mating season they probably wouldn't have I think that's something unique to to the kangaroo mating system I'm not an expert in these things but that I overheard that from some of the bystanders Tom did did you feel weird when that that kangaroo mounted you uh yeah but i thought that was part of the rules of this game you guys made up no we just we just integrated them in and we thought you were just playing along with it we didn't no i thought that was i thought that was just part of the play uh i thought it was doing uh, i mean i thought it was doing excellent 
I, I thought I did a great job, but apparently that wasn't part of it, and uh, I have to rethink this now. Well, you were you were a good sport, you know. I mean, and, and still a little dazed. So, PJ, it's probably better if we just we don't tell him everything that happened. All right, all right. I don't think he's ready for it. Well, let's let's move on to to dinner. You know, after we were done, and and Tom got bitten by that black mamba. That was I, I don't even know why were you trying to feed that thing. I mean, it's a it's. I know you like animals and all that, Tom, but. It didn't look like it was happy to see you to begin with. I, I don't think he thought it was what it was. I think he thought it was like he was calling it Harry, and and you wouldn't. I mean, that's that's a name you would call like a hamster or a cat or something. I think he was hallucinating still. Yeah, I was a little. I was a little off, uh, but it looked like a garter snake. It it looked harmless and friendly and wanted to play. Yeah, it almost swallowed your hand. Well, yeah, I mean, from one person's perspective, I could see how it may have looked that way cuz it was that way, but I don't know, we were just kind of playing. I still had the the roux on my back and, you know, and I was trying to put the mamba in the pouch and it just, I don't know. It was just I was just exploring. I was having fun. Well, you you ought to be really thankful that that other bigger roux came over and ate that thing right off your hand. Otherwise, we never would have gotten your hand back. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's still, um, the hand's good now, though. So, you know, it all, all's well that ends well, I suppose. It, it, it ended up pretty good. But if you see Tom at some kind of maker event, ask him to show you his hand. It's, it's crazy. Well, I mean, thank God we had that Aborigine shaman there to, to perform the rituals to get your fingers in, back in working order. Otherwise, you would have just been like a one-armed maker. You know, I mean... You, you wouldn't have made it. Or, or you wouldn't have made it. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't have made it either. That's a, a double entendre. Tom's having the hardest time remembering what happened. I I think the combination of... of I am, but see, I think... I'm just confused because Black Mambas are small. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember this part. Maybe you can explain it to me. How did it get my whole fist in its, <laughs> in its mouth? It had something to do with the spider venom. It really wanted your whole hand. I don't know. It was just... Oh, so instead of swelling, I... I reverse swelled and my hand got smaller. You know, we're not going to go into the details. That's not important, we're Tom. <laughs> you know, your hand is okay and we're we're happy that you're still with us and you're able to hit the podcast buttons and stuff. You know, actually, now that I think about it, Tanda, I think that might be the reason that Tom has such a problem sidebarring himself. Uh, I think that his, 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 his little hand, did it accidentally <laughs> hits the wrong button all the time. Oh, man. Um yeah, PJ, P- PJ, you got you. You were the one that got bitten by the spider, and nothing. None of this happened to Tom. Oh, this gosh. is this is a story that you told us when when you woke up, <sighs> and then you started telling us all of this stuff that happened to Tom. I mean, people were just like rolling on the ground, literally, when you came up and started relating this story. Oh, Tanda, thank you, thank you for revealing that. Thank you for finally letting me out because you know how hard it is to play dumb. Like, it's so hard, and I'm glad that you just let me off the hook. Yeah. No, no. I mean, Tom Tom whacked his hand on a rock trying to flip a rain stick over. That's the only thing that happened to Tom's hand, and that probably planted the seed. But, man, when you, when you became, uh, you know, when you kind of came out of it, PJ, um, and that was, that was only the, the one of the stories. I mean, you, you regaled us with all kinds of uh, interesting things for most of the rest of the evening and and the whole maker event pretty much just stopped and uh, but it was it was enjoyable i think no one want no one asked for their money back 
Not a single soul. And we didn't make a thing. What are you talking about? I didn't get bit by a spider. As, yeah, as far as you know. Right. No, that was Tom. Was, it wasn't me. Uh, I think I think maybe we should just cut it there. And, 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 and we'll, we'll, we'll stop recording and, and we'll show PJ the video. What are you talking about? Oh, the video. We said we'd never show that to him. Wait, there's there's video? I think we should. Uh, I, I have a bad feeling all of a sudden. So, so, um, I, I'm, I'm very tired suddenly. I think I'm, I'm going to... Let's, let's wrap this up so I can go to sleep. It's uh, it's almost 11. Uh, all right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> that was totally ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs>